0: Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35. So men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about the issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in great detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After that there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way that they are. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, or Simon, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things like polluted by things that are polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood, for since ancient times Moses have, has those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. Then the then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, "From the apostles and the elders, your brothers." to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly beloved, dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, Silas who will personally report the same things by the word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your, the encouragement that your Holy Spirit gave to the church in Jerusalem and in Antioch and Syria and Galatia and Cilicia and the whole world that still continues that same hope and encouragement and joy for us Gentiles here today. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would open it up to us here this morning. Lord, we pray that you would honor and glorify your name, for it is that name by which we proclaim that Lord has power over all. Lord, it is your name above all names. You are, the, you are the God above gods. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And by your name, all people, all men and women and children must be saved. First, it is that glorious and powerful and beautiful name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. May be seated. <coughs> One of my favorite movies is the movie uh, Luther. It, it uh, recounts the um, the the narrative, the story of the reason why we exist as a Protestant church, as as an evangelical church. Otherwise, we are also the Catholic, um, and so we're very orthodox. And so, as part of this movie, um, he he's talking about grace and, and being saved, and, and the the church, I mean, the Catholic Church, is trying to get. Uh, this, this prince, Frederick the Wise, to send them Luther for trial. And Frederick's like, no, I'm not going to send him my mom. They're only going to kill <laughs> so He's having this whole narrative, which I, I, love, this, I love this. I love this character. It's my favorite character in the whole movie. Frederick the Wise, he's the prince in Germany, and, uh, in, in this area of Germany. And he says this to the guy who asked him, are you going to send him Luther? He says, there are two ways of saying no to someone. You believe to be stronger than yourself. The first is to say nothing and go on merely doing what you were doing before and pretend that you never heard, allow time and inertia to be your allies. And the second is to say no in such a kind and thoughtful way it befells them. Sorry, <laughs> I that word out of word. Naturally, if both these strategies fail, there's nothing but to relent or to fight. And of course, if we decide to fight, we must also decide to win. Now, this is how we in the church disagree, uh, or contend, or fight, wrestle, and war against evil, false gospels, false religions, false you know, and, and persecutions. This is the way in which we wrestle and, and stand. Um, as I said, you know, even as our as our brother Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter two, he says, "We did not give up." and submit to these people, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Paul's heart is always for the church. Because here's the thing. Shepherds ought to aggressively defend the pure and true gospel. The message and the method. Firm and also respectful at the same time. The gospel message and method of Paul and Barnabas brought great joy. Great joy to the Phoenicians and Samaritans as you just read their passage. As they're passing through on their way to Jerusalem. And these, the Phoenicians and Samaritans were those who were not the Jews. These were Gentiles and dirty Samaritans, according to Jews. And they celebrated, they rejoiced over these things, over the gospel. But with great consternation and disdain by the religious religious Jews. That's what the gospel causes in religious people. Grumbling, disdain, hurt feelings. Thankfully, the Jerusalem apostles, elders, and the church received the gospel message and method of Paul and Barnabas and recognized them as fellow apostles and with power and authority just like them. Peter, Paul, same level. It's not like Peter's up here and Paul's like down here in this like lower level of apostleship. They recognize them as equals in the work of the kingdom. And so our main point here this way and this morning with, with our passage as we're about to read it is seeing that the way of Yahweh yes I did on the way of Godway brings freedom and great joy. The way of Yahweh brings great, brings freedom and great joy. Because here's the thing. I've known and know it's still today many modern-day Judaizers, modern day religious zealots. They see themselves as trying to defend the true faith when really they're false teachers defending a religion, defending law. Versus Christ. Just like there are false teachers on the far Pentecostal side who are nuts, nut jobs, as same on the other side, there are religious nut jobs. to one of them. And we <laughs> They leave, the modern day Judaizers leave a wake of hurt and broken people. They often won't even have many close friends because they're just rude and mean. And they, ju- and they can't see the faith any other way, nor can they associate with anyone who sees the faith any other way. Then, they come to churches super excited, super pumped, and then they turn divisive. And they often end up either being pushed out or being asked to leave. Where there's no grace... There is no freedom. And where there's no freedom, there is no joy. And where there is no joy, there is no Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 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 Oh, could have bringing it in your <laughs> Where For the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now we're going to focus on it, focusing on what I believe is to be the most important part aspect of this passage here this morning, the relationships with Christians, with, with us in the church, and the law. And we can see this in through the lens of even specifically, how do we read the Old Testament? It's in the Bible, and we love it, we respect it, and we are grateful it's here. What do we? How do we interact with it? What is the way in which we get to it? How do we view it through the lens of grace, of through the lens of Christ, and through a New covenant, how do we look at the old covenant through the new covenant lens? Because it's different. So we're gonna look at the Jerusalem Council here. We introduced it here. The same Judaizers who came from Jerusalem to go to Galatia, or at least those of the same party, and theological pers- persuasion as the group that went and was disrupting the Galatian churches, went now to Antioch and was putting, you know, pulling the same breath. They're teaching the same false gospel. They're teaching the same garbage. Verse 2. Paul and Barnabas, what is it? Um, what does it say here in verse 2? Uh, and after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in a what? Serious argument and debate, as it says in my Bible. Now, these two words are st- uh, stasios and zateos. Stasios, for, uh, for serious argument, actually means insurrection. Huh. They were growing a stink. They were gathering and screaming. They were making a scene. They were making a major scene. Sometimes the Bible translation will say, made no small scene. Or made you know, no small argument. But <clears throat> this word means to, is insurrection, commotion, to stand but in a loud way. Basically what you see on the news when you see protesters blocking freeways. They're making a commotion. They're protesting. This is Paul and Barnabas standing up and protesting. No! Bull crap! I call bull crap! <laughs> Paul and Marcus were the ones engaging. They weren't like the ones being, like, being attacked by these people. They were the attackers. They were the instigators. They were the questioning and contradicting, contradicting ones. They were the ones being the carrots at this moment. The, theological, the, the, the biblical errors in this moment, contradicting these Judaizers. They were aggressively defending the gospel message and method that they were preaching to the Gentiles. They were grilling these so-called experts in the law and kicking their butts theologically speaking. Again, shepherds ought to aggressively defend the pure and true, unadulterated, straight-node chaser, gospel, message, and method, firm and respectful. Because remember this, think about this. At this point, Paul has been contending, he has fought, been stoned and killed for, as well as seen signs and wonders, the offering of the Holy Spirit, as well as viewed the freedom. And joy the Gentiles experienced when they came to faith through this gospel method and message. He's not about to change it, especially because of these dogmatic and cynical critics of a few powerless religious Judaizers. Paul has been contending for this gospel message and method for years. For years. Has written already a very angry letter, and is now debating the very people that are espousing this other gospel to their faces. He's like, oh, it's you guys. Oh. Come at me, bro. Can you imagine this conversation though uh, about you know how this how this went with the very people that you know very very people Paul wrote about when he said, I wish those who are disturbing you might also be mutilated or emasculated themselves. Uh-huh. He's talking about. <laughs> You've got to be like, oh, hey, Paul, I heard you uh, wrote some very colorful things about us. What we can do to ourselves. He's like, yep. yeah, chomper." Mm-hmm. Okay. Paul has a great reason and justification to defend the gospel message and method he has been preaching and practicing for the better part of like 17 years. Since he came to faith in Jesus, went off to Arabia for three years, got the gospel supernaturally from Jesus himself in Arabia in the Spirit, and came back and was teaching it, went to Jerusalem to confirm it, and then was sent to Tarsus and Antioch. He's been a believer at teaching this very gospel. And learning more and more how to walk this gospel for 17 years, I did math on that. <clears throat> for myself. Like, what that look like for me? This would be like for me to argue with what the Lord has been developing me since after I graduated from college, through all of my seminary, my church residency, and two full time ministries. Uh, basically, serving in at least six churches in my past 17 years. And the gospel message that I bring to you today, it's, a, it's been established firmly. You ain't getting me to change my mind about the gospel. The church in Antioch wants to know that these men from Judea represent these 12 apostles in Jerusalem. Like, hey, I 11 because James is dead now. But he, uh, do these people represent the official stance of the church in Jerusalem? They, Paul and Barnabas, and the Judaizers were determined to settle this argument once and for all. So, you know, I think probably these Judaizers were like, we want you to stop being so mean. It's like, me. well, let's go figure it out first. Because otherwise I'm just going to keep making fun of you. You know, like, alright, let's figure it so, <laughs> so they go to Jerusalem. So that they can establish a recognized and official church doctrine and practice that is agreed upon by everyone. What is the truth? What is the gospel? Especially for the Gentiles. So they all travel to Jerusalem. But along the way, Paul and Barnabas are sharing their experiences, stories, their testimonies of what God has done on the Gentiles. And their response, he said, is great joy. They're encouraged. They're like, woo! Awesome! Wow, really? Seriously? The, 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 the Zeus worship worshipers too? Yeah, whoa! Aren't worshippers? What? Yeah! Imagine that the gospel is more powerful. Imagine that person in your mind. Who is the gospel too, you think that the gospel might be too good for? It? Or a person who is too bad for it, to receive the gospel? Who in your, your lives can you picture that in your own opinion or, or perception, you're like, Man, that person, man, they're too far gone. Or it feels like they're too far gone to experience the grace of the gospel. Or that person is just too stubborn. That person is just so set in their ways. Is so just established in their their lostness. Or even through paganism. Man, they're too far gone into witchcraft. Oh, they're too far gone in the New Age. Oh, they're too far gone in science and atheism and agnosticism too far Who is too far gone that's tempting to believe? Not that it actually is true, but that it's tempting to believe that they're too far gone. For them, it was the Gentiles. It was the pagan-worshipping, western, rationalized-thinking Gentiles. And they celebrated with great joy because even then, Receive the gospel. Even they receive the grace and forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite people in the world is my buddy, is my brother, you know, our brother Philip down in C3. He's preached here a couple times. Right? I don't know if he gave his testimony here or not, but he used to be full on in you know, Satanism, worshiping demons. He had the tattoos on his arms were the demons he used to conjure. And God radically saved him. Who everyone thought was too far gone because he was conquering demons, came to faith in Jesus and was radically changed. Radically changed, and now uses the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives him to bind those demons. Because now he's been given all authority and power over those demons through the Holy Spirit within him, in the name of Jesus he casts them out and delivers people from their. Power and their oppression, their authority. And so they convened to establish church doctrine around the conversion of these Gentiles. And probably a subtext around life as a Jewish believer as well. Because think about it, this will be especially important in the life of the, even these Jewish brothers and sisters. In about, we're about in the 40s or so, maybe the early 50s, and so we're talking like 20 years, less than 20 years the entire Israeli culture and faith and temple and everything is going to be destroyed. So imagine a Jew outside of that. They have no country, they have no temple, they have no culture. The the rotation of their lives around going to Jerusalem three times a year, Mm -hmm. celebrating the festival. They have no temple to go to anymore. And in fact, now they're fearing for their lives because the, the, everything in Jerusalem and Israel has been destroyed. And up here in Rome, is a Jew going, when is it coming for us next? And so this, this, this argument, or this, this culture, or this, this letter right here is going to be vital for even our Jewish brothers and sisters, figuring out what is life going to be like on the other side of the culture established through Jewish law. Through the Old Testament, Old Covenant Scriptures. If we have no temple, we can't worship. If we have no temple, there is no reconciliation. There is no sacrifice for sins. Therefore, we're still in our sins. If there's no culture around putting putting all casting all these sins on a scapegoat and leading off into the wilderness, and that's where my sin goes, my sins are still on me. That's why. Jews today who don't have Christ are still in their sins. Are still lost. They don't have salvation. They don't have grace. That's why I say right now, with Israel and Hamas, both sides need Jesus. And I know there are are hundreds of believers in Hamas Hamas ruled uh, Philistine. Same thing. Palestine. West Bay. There are churches, Christian churches over there. The hospital that they're like fighting over were like, well, you destroyed this hospital. They destroyed the parking lot. But <laughs> it was a Baptist hospital. There are Christians, brothers and sisters, right now who are being bombed by Israel. There are Christians right now in Israel who are trying to navigate how do we love our brothers and sisters? How do we proclaim the name of Jesus to each other? This is not a black and white issue. This is a both-sides-need-Jesus issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they're fighting, because they both need Jesus. This simple. is like life without Jesus, personified. Yeah. No longer considering just simply what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus as a Jew or a Gentile, but simply what does it simply mean to be a follower of Jesus overall? That's why this passage is so important to us today. There's freedom and grace. So let's look at our passage because this is what the, the message is all about. This is what I want to really want to focus on in a couple different ways. <clears throat> so as it says, like in verse eight, the the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on them at Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that's being poured out on the Gentiles. It's the same Holy Spirit to commune with God through through the grace of Jesus Christ, no longer through the Old Covenant and through the law. So even for the Jewish believer, they're wrapping their minds around what does it mean to live under the new covenant through Jesus Christ and freedom. And then especially, what is a post eighty seventy Jew in his culture and perspective supposed to look like when he can't go and do the sacrifices? How are they, how are they supposed to live? <clears throat> Verse 9 says there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We have both received what? The same Grace. He made no distinction between us. Pleasing our hearts by faith. Verse 10 No one can obey the whole law. 10, no, why are you trying to put put these people under something that our ancestors, all the way back to Abraham himself, and Moses, I'm sorry, Moses himself, have not been able to abide by, nor are we? That's the whole reason why Jesus came. Because no one can. No one can abide by laws and rules and regulations perfectly. That's why Jesus came. To release us from that. To fulfill the law. I've got to say, student loan debt. You're in, if you're in student loan debt or credit card debt or mortgage debt and you finish paying it off, or someone pays, off, pays it off for you, do you still keep paying payments to that debtor? No. No. Because it's been what? Fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So we stop doing the works of the law as though it was required because it's a work of the law. Versus we do and walk in what? The way of God way. That's why Jesus said, he was saying, that's why Jesus' followers are called followers of the way. The word namas, for law in the, in the Greek, is way, perspective, worldview. The way of God, the way of God way. That's what the word namas means. So when you see law later on, like in James, James, when we're talking about the law of freedom, it's the way of freedom, the perspective, God's worldview of freedom, of this life. That's why Jesus came. He put on flesh, dwelt among us, to take the yoke off of us, and for us to put, all of us, to, to put on Christ as Jesus said, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He came to take all of the restrictions and the weight of burden off of us. We, uh, as you said in verse chapter eleven, he said we Jews you know, not, are not saved by works, mitzvah, that's the word, that the works, mitzvah of the law, but by, but by grace. Through faith or allegiance to Christ, just like the Gentiles. So, our way to salvation as Jews is the same way as the Gentiles. Now, we have a different culture and way in which we live that we've been raised with, like we're doing, observing Shabbat and Passover and Sukkot and stuff like that, which we've been participating in because it's fine. It's like we already have holidays built in to celebrate God. Why would we need new ones? And so, it's like, so this whole concept of, of wrapping our minds around we both have the same. Avenue and same access to God with, through the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter, uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 12. The whole, they all became silent and listened to them ex- explain. So this is what we're looking at. Eyewitnesses to the works of God through their gospel message and method. Evidences. Eyewitness testimony back then was more solid than even written evidence. If you saw something, you would speak about it. That's why it's so so important. This whole ancient world was all about that. They were more skeptical of written words than they were of eyewitness testimony and spoken words. They trusted the orator more than they did a book. Until like years later, like, you know, centuries later, like second century, something like that. Even Plato himself said, "You know, I trust the spoken testimony over something that's written." Like we shouldn't write things down because we'll lose trust of. And so this is the number one highest-priority witness. I read would, I would the spoken testimony of what God had done and was doing through the proclaiming of the gospel. And, and then we get to uh, verses 13 through 21, which is, this is going to be a, just a really fun beautiful. I love, I love this. Love this. This is one of my favorite parts about this passage. My second favorite part about this passage. Um, so this is salvation to the Gentiles by grace is the hope and prophetic promise from David. So well, look at this. Let's go to second Samuel. Where he says this. It was reported to King David, this is the second Samuel, so going way back, this is like a thousand years before Jesus Christ. This is 3,000 years before us. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed and his family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God, because they got scared, because you know, the other guy reached up and you know touched the ark and he died, and they got mad and like give it you know put it over here, and then so David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. <clears throat> with uh, when those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened cow. The whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord. Oops, sorry. David was dancing with all his might. I them. one of the most fun parts. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, what we call uh looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place beside inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of arms. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a gate cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then they all the people went home. This is from 1 Chronicles chapter 16. They brought the ark of God and placed it inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. Fellowship offerings were basically the slaughter. You would slaughter the animal, and they all partake of it. it was a big part. It was a big feast, is what it was. <clears throat> When David finished offering, the burnt offerings, and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, Then he distributed to each and every Israelite, both men and women, a loaf of bread, a cake cake, and a raisin cake. David appointed some of the Levites to be ministers before the Ark of the Lord, to celebrate the Lord God of Israel, and to give thanks and praise to him. Asaph the chief, and Zechariah was second to him, Yagadiel, Shemarioth, Shemarioth, fun names. (laughs) Yahwehel, Mathathiah, Eliad, Benaiah, or Benaiah, Obed-Edom, which is funny because he just got the ark. Yahwehel played the harps and the while Asaph sounded the symbols and the priests Beniah and Yahaziel blew the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. This is what's happening with this. The tent of David was not the tabernacle. The tabernacle, which housed the Ark of the Covenant at the time, and all the instruments for worship, like the the Midorahs and the bowls of incense and the the showbread, all that stuff, all the worship and the sacrifice and the the cleansing and the the forgiveness of sins, that was called the tabernacle. And that was seven miles away in Shiloh at this time. Right now, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, and he sets it into a tent. And scholars and theologians are saying that this was actually a tent up on the mountain, up on Mount Moriah, that was open. It was an open tent where anyone and everyone could come and they could look upon the Ark of the Covenant and be in the very presence of Yahweh with no obstruction, no hindrance. And this is where David set up all of his, his musicians set up all of the singers, and this was where he set up all of the music that was playing 24-7, every single day, all day, all night, and this is the context through which David and Asaph wrote all of the songs. With an open tent with the Ark of the Covenant on the mountain of Moriah. And anyone and everyone could come and be in front of the presence of Yahweh, singing, singing, and making music to the Lord. Because remember, at this point, they had to go to a the temple, they had to go and offer a sacrifice for, for forgiveness of sins. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. They had to be behind, not just that one, but outside of that altogether. They couldn't go into the holy place, nor the Holy most holy place, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. So during the time of David, until Solomon built the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was on full display for anyone and everyone to come before the very presence of Yahweh, And God gave a special grace to all who came. This was known as one of the most beautiful times in all of Jewish history. Still to this day, everyone looks back to David. Everyone yearns for the times of David. Everyone yearns for an open temple for an open experience, for an open heaven, because that's what it was. But we get to experience it every single day, every single Sunday when we come together and we're living stones building up a holy house in which to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. We are the temple. We are the Ark of the Covenant that houses the very presence, the very Shekinah glory of Yahweh. And we gather in His name. That is the glory of the church. That is the glory of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. You gotta have both. This is why, this is why we are living in the fulfilled promise of the tent, of David. We are the tent of David yes. that anyone and everyone across the world can come and be in front of and experience and encounter the very presence of Yahweh. Yes. Oh! Oh! <laughs> if that doesn't get your prior going, you're little bit. Uh, well, well, I, <laughs> Oh. the gospel of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the promise to restore David's tent the open and unhindered presence and worship of the Lord as Jesus calls it worshiping in spirit and truth we no longer have to go to either Mount Gerizim or go to Mount Moriah to go and worship the your car can be a holy place. This place can be a holy place because of God's spirit. When this place is empty during the week, it ain't holy. It becomes holy when we show up. Yes. Okay. Because we are the holy temple. This is a building that we honor and glorify and keep clean as much as we can. But here, here's the thing. So, so John. Chapter 4, that's where we get that. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman. How did she not smack him? Believe me, woman. <laughs> <laughs> an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This was the restoration of David's tent. The restoration of not just the tent, but the joy of David's tent. Remember that? the joy that caused David to dance like a crazy person in a line of ephod? It's like worshiping you know, shirts and skins. We're not going to do that. But uh, worship like a madman because he was so enthralled by the presence of Yahweh. And the fulfillment of freedom. Words of Je- the words of Jesus and the purpose of the cross were to bring freedom to all who heard. So that's where we get to our place of here's here's the result of all these things. We place no burden or obstacle. We place no burden or obstacle. Basically, they're, they're saying that circumcision and the law of Moses are unnecessary for salvation and God to live. The Old Covenant is insufficient for the Gentiles. The God of the Old Covenant is not insufficient for the, for the Gentiles. But the law. And you look in, in, the, in the, the whole writing of the, of the book of Hebrews, which we'll get to in our chronology here, that the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to show and to say that the words of the law do not save. Christ in his spirit saves. And we in the church, both Jews and Gentiles, are now living in the complete fulfillment of the covenant to not only Moses, but Abraham. And the law was not a covenant. The law came because of transgressions we just read in the book of Galatians. We are now under the covenant of Abraham. That God would walk with us and be our God, and we would be His people. For like 500 years, they didn't have law at all. They had God, and because of transgression, because they learned how to live through under the Egyptians and under the Egyptian pagan that the law was added later to teach them, to bring them back, to get them to to run away from and to denounce and to deny. Their paganism. To deny all the things that would save the Lord, the the ways in which the Egyptian cults, whether they were Osiris and Isis and Set and Horus and all the gods and all the pantheon, because he even says in Exodus chapter 12, in this way Yahweh judged the gods of the Egyptians. He was judging the gods. He wasn't judging the Egyptians, he was judging the gods of the Egyptians by judging the Egyptians. By showing that Yahweh was more powerful. Than all their little peony okay. uh, gods. <laughs> 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 and so this is the same thing. Why? Let's look at those those four things. What do you say? What do you say? The four, the four uh, things, the four requirements. That you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled because if it hasn't been killed and the blood spilled, the blood is still in the animal. So don't eat that because it's only strangled. Uh, and also from sexual immorality. All four of these things was their paganism. It was how they worshipped Zeus. It was how they worshipped Artemis. It was how they worshipped uh, Apollo. It was how they worshipped all their different pagan you know, gods. It's the same wheel. Stop worshipping the pagan gods in the pagan ways. And follow the way of Yahweh. Follow the way of Jesus. Be followers of the way. Be disciples. Followers of Jesus. And so the apostles came by and said, "And we're going to teach you how to do that." And there's even buildings that they you know, that they discovered from the second century called the Dura Europus that they had a whole wall like we took this wall over here and like put like paintings and murals and stuff of the different Bible stories. There were a tool that the, that the leaders would use to teach the Bible. Mm-hmm. They would teach them about Moses. They would teach them about David and his tent. They would teach them about the prophets and the destruction of, of Jerusalem. They would teach them about Adam and the beginning of the creation. They would teach them about Jesus and Paul. And they had this crazy one over here for Revelation. There's a bunch of red and black. And you know, stuff. But they would use imagery to teach the way. To get them to to come away from the way they used used to worship the pagan deities, which were pagan, which were evil, which was worshipping Satan, to worship the true God. It was about a shift of allegiance and a shift of teaching them how to live, but it was no longer by the letter of the law, it was by teaching them the way of righteousness. The way in which the Holy Spirit would guide them. Stop worshiping any the other gods. Worship God like Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. Follow him. Walk with us. Walk closely so that we can know how to walk with each other. How to reconcile with one another when we offend one another. Because it's going to happen. Relationships are messy. But by the grace of God and his Holy Spirit, there's reconciliation in the church. Forgiveness, bearing one another's burdens, encouragement, joy, Forgetting what lies you know, behind and pressing forward to what lies before us. This is the purpose of the gospel. To bring all the world to the tent of David to worship Yahweh. To come to us, the tent of David. And this is the good news for the world. I kept sitting with, I'm going to end with this. <clears throat> I kept sitting with this this week. How is the gospel of a Jewish Messiah the hope for a Gentile world? Like, what did that gospel sound like? <clears throat> like, I wish I wish that Paul would have written, like, hey, this is the gospel that I proclaim. Word word for word. This is generally how I proclaim for the Gentiles. You know. But why is the gospel good news to the Gentile pagans? And just regular old Western thinking and rationalistic Romans and Greeks, because not everyone worshiped in the pagan pantheons. Many of them were just simply Western rationalistic thinkers, philosophers, who thought that the people who worshiped in the temples were kooks. So if it wasn't provable by science or mathematics from Aristotle and Plato and all these guys, then I didn't believe In essence, they to science. But <clears throat> why is the gospel the good news? Why is it good news today to new age and occultic and Masonic pagans and regular Western thinking rationalistic Americans? How is the gospel of the Jewish Messiah good news for our, our Gentile world here in America? Whether they're pagan, new agey, yoga, you know, Masonic, whatever the demonic thing that they're involved in, or they're just simply regular old proof of through science, If they're agnostic or atheist, how do we, how is that, how is the gospel good news for them? Well, the first thing is that there's a God who sees you, and there's a God who loves you. The creator of this world, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's order, there's intentionality with everything that you see, and it was created by the God of this whole world and this entire universe, and guess what, he sees you. He knows you. And He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He came down into this world in the flesh. He pursued us before we ever even thought of Him. He came first. And is still inviting us into relationship with Him. He came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. Died at the hands of all mankind. Because remember, it was the Jewish leaders that that delivered him up to what? Gentiles. So the Jews and the Gentiles, the whole world, representing the whole world, just like Adam in the garden, represented the whole world, because that was it, was, it, was it. <laughs> came together and killed, murdered Jesus. <coughs> killed him. In order to forgive and cleanse us from all sin. From all Evil from all brokenness and guilt and shame, and basically whatever's been that you have done that is against God's will, and everything that has been done to you that is against God's will, to forgive both, to cleanse both, to cover both, and to give you His Holy Spirit pouring himself into every facet and area and avenue in your life, completely immersing you, baptizing you, he dunks you by his Holy Spirit. You're like a spiritual sponge. He fills you and covers you by his Holy Spirit. Those who place all of your faith, all of your allegiance, all of your trust, yes, your entire life in him, submitting to him as your Lord. Submitting to him only as your only Lord, as your only God, as your only Savior. There's only one true God who is worthy of your worship. And that's why the way of God brings freedom and great joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, guide us in this time of discussion. Lord, help us to uh, see how you are guiding us to live by your word, to walk by your Holy Spirit. And God, how to walk in the way of Yahweh. Help us to walk in your way, walk in the way of freedom, walk in the, the law or the way of freedom, and to experience great joy. Help us to leave this place this morning with great joy. So guide us right now during this time of communion. Commune with us, Lord, by your spirit. Teach us and stir our hearts in affection for you. It's in Jesus in our prayer.